Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. So happy to be back with you guys. I missed y'all. I know y'all missed me too. Um, But I'm pretty confident that you guys enjoyed MD's episode last week about the church girl gone wrong. Definitely an interesting episode, one to keep us on our toes. But let's quickly get into some announcements I have before we get into our crime story for today. Wanted to let you guys know we have not forgot about murder and music theme. We actually are cooking up a really good one that features a special guest and features a lot of music, but also involves a story of tragedy. So we have that for you. So table that until next week. But if you are a part of our paid subscription, then you get early access to one of the episodes that we've been working on. So you actually get two episodes for one today, one on the regular platform and then one in our paid subscription. So if you're not a part of the gang, you know what I say, what are you doing? Come join the crew, the inner circle. If you're unsure of where to sign up, the link will be in our show notes today, as well as the link is in our bio page on all of our social media handles. Check that out. We're here for you. Sign up as soon as you can. We will also be going over the poll results that we've got for our last two episodes because I love to go over that with you guys just to feature some of your comments and then just have a conversation about what you guys have been saying and what y'all thought about the episode. But we're going to table that until after our true crime story for today, because I do not want to bore maybe some new listeners, right? Because I know my my regular listeners like the poll results. But let's go ahead and get into our crime case for today. I want to begin today's story with an old adage that you may have heard of in your lifetime by either your grandparents or parents, or maybe you said it to your children or your nieces or nephews. Walk a mile in my shoes. And this adage simply encourages the person to put on the perspective of the person they're engaging in to look at it through their lens and what they happen to be going through at the time. It is only then that the audience will truly be able to understand the path that the person decided to lead. So for today, I want you to look at it through the lens of Felicia Collier. And at the end of our true crime story, I want her narrative to shape a little bit of the opinion that you may have at the end. Felicia Collier grew up in Los Angeles and she was a very smart girl. Like she was the girl that 
always got really good grades, effortlessly was able to get all A's in grade school. And as she matriculated through junior high school, the same grades were maintained. And she lived in a neighborhood and she met this guy named Chester. And she always knew that Chester had like a childhood crush on her, but she really didn't pay him any mind because to be quite honest, while she was in grade school and in junior high school, she just was not checking for any guys like that. But his mother and Felicia's mother ended up talking and connecting. And that's when Chester's mother revealed to Felicia's mother that Chester was having some problems with his grades. Being that Felicia was really good in academics, her mother encouraged her to actually tutor Chester and her and Chester became really good friends. And despite him having a crush on her, they were able to maintain a friendship throughout junior high school and leading into high school. Felicia went to Locke High School, and she was able to maintain her grades. However, at the age of 16, she became pregnant with her first child. Her parents were obviously disappointed and upset because they knew that having a child was a responsibility, and they really feared that Felicia was not going to be able to finish high school. But later that year, Felicia had her daughter, but the great relationship that she had in particular with her mother suffered. It became very contentious and they butted heads constantly. Now, Felicia was determined to finish high school, but now that the relationship with her and her mother got so contentious, she felt like she had no other option but to move out. And as she began to just wring her hands together, trying to formulate a plan, she bumped into the lady across the street. If you remember earlier, I told you she used to tutor Chester, who lived across the street from her childhood home. And his mother approached Felicia and they began to talk about the bad situation that she was in with her mother. And in an effort to support Felicia, Chester's mother said, hey, I want you to finish high school too. I want you to graduate. So why don't you just move across the street with us? I know your mom, we're good. And we can help support you. And you can have a good environment to raise your kid up in. And you can go ahead and just finish high school. And hopefully you'll be able to reconcile with your mother. So Felicia felt like this was a great idea. Like she was going to be able to stay at the same high school. She was going to have a good environment for her child and still have access to her parents if she needed. While there, she absolutely thrived in this environment. She was able to raise her kid, have like some in-house sitters and finish high school. Upon graduating, she quickly got a job And she needed somebody to help her with her daughter. And that's when Chester, the guy who had such a crush on her, really stepped in and really knocked the ball out of the park, eventually getting him out of the friend zone with Felicia. Because when Felicia would go to work, he would voluntarily, you know, um, watch her daughter 
He would do her hair. He would take her out to the park. He was her caregiver. And really that gave Felicia another perspective on Chester. He wasn't just the like annoying guy that liked her and always wanted to get with her. He was supportive and he had a role that not even her daughter's father really wanted in her daughter's life. And so she began to look at him differently. And before she knew it, she trusted Chester and she fell in love with him. While dating and still living at Chester's mother's home, she noticed that Chester would get very possessive with her. But she was still young, and so she kind of just contributed that to the fact that we're young and he wants me to be around him all the time. But one incident in particular really made her question some things. So a close friend of hers actually drove her back to Chester's mother's home after work, and this friend happened to be a guy, but they were strictly platonic. There was nothing there. And... When they pulled up to Chester's mother's home, they kind of stayed in the car for, you know, a couple of minutes, talked, chit-chatted, and then the friend got out of the car, opened her car door, and let her out. And that's when Chester came to the door, and before Felicia could even open the door, Chester opened the door for her and began to yell and scream at her and just tell her, what are you doing? And so she you know, manages to get into the house and he's still on a tirade. He's still going off a lot of rage and she's just trying to calm him down and basically just say, hey, listen, like, it's not a big deal. This is just my friend. You need to calm down. But Chester wasn't having any of that. And he got so angry and became so animated that he put his fists through the wall. And for Felicia, she had never seen anything like this before in her own household, never saw her father become so angry that he hit things. And so her next step was to naturally go back outside because her friend, whose name was Reginald, was still out there preparing to get ready to go. And she went back outside and told Reginald, like, hey, listen, like Chester's in here spazzing out on me. I'm scared. And so Reginald got out of his car and approached the front porch and told Chester, like, hey, Chester, listen, like, I know you think there's something between me and Felicia, but there absolutely isn't. She is just my friend. And man, you got to calm down. Like, you can't punch holes into the wall. You're scaring her. That is not okay behavior. And when Reginald did this, it was the exact chill pill, I guess, that Chester needed in order to calm down. And Chester immediately was a cool head. All the rage and steam that was coming from his ears moments before was now gone. And Reginald left and Felicia felt like, okay, Like, that was one incident. Was it crazy? Absolutely. But we're young, and he just wants to be around me. And she justified his behavior because she was able to say, well, it was just one time. It was just this one time. It's okay. 
But Felicia is on the up and up. She has a job now. She's graduated from high school. Her legs are now starting to become very strong and she's able to really take on the responsibility of caring for her daughter on her own. So she's able to save up enough money to actually move out and get her own place. And Chester didn't come with her, although they were still dating. She was adamant on living by herself because she wanted to do it for herself. She wanted to, you know, have the affirmation that, you know what, I don't need anybody. I'm able to be self-sufficient, take care of my daughter. I don't think he and I are even at the stage in our relationship to live together. We kind of are living together. We are kind of already did that. So I want to really just strike out on my own with my daughter. So they became, you know, more and more in love. Their relationship got serious and Chester got his job and they just seemed to be doing really, really well. And she was very proud of herself, especially due to, due to the fact that her mother never really felt like she was going to make it. And so she proved her mother wrong. And so she just felt really good about doing it for herself. Another incident occurred on her birthday. She was at her house and it was pretty late. And Chester called her on the phone earlier that day and said, hey, I want to stop by, by your bir- for your birthday and hang out with you. Would I have to go to work? So I'll, sh- you know, stop by after that. And so it was late and Chester knocked on the door and he adorned her with flowers and balloons and stuffed animals and, you know, told her happy birthday and asked if he could come in. Felicia wanted to let him in and she told him, hey, I would love to let you in. I would love for you to hang out with me, but it's really late and I have to go to work in the morning. My daughter's sleep. Like, I just don't think today is the day for you to stay over. And he became enraged again. I mean, pissed, livid. So the same display that she saw you know, months earlier is now back on display in front of her on her actual birthday. And he's like, you know, why would you even have me stop by over here? You, you know, I would want to come inside and just spend the night. You know, I just got off of work. I made time to come over and see you. You need to let me in. And she told him like, no, I'm not letting you in. She stuck to her guns. And he said, okay, you know, if you're not going to let me in, give me all my stuff back. You can't have any of the things that I gave you for your birthday. And she was just so outdone at that point. She just threw the stuff back in his face and quickly closed the door and locked it. Of course, Chester tried to make amends. He continued to call her. And while she stalled him out for a couple of weeks, she eventually made up with Chester. But that's when their relationship became even deeper because Felicia found out that she was pregnant. I wanted to make note that Chester and Felicia began dating in 1992. So everything that I will tell you moving forward about them and their relationship happens in the early to mid 90s. According to Felicia, 
her relationship with Chester was in full bloom. They were pregnant with their first child together. She had her own job, her own apartment, and she was taking care of her daughter. She was doing everything that her mom thought she couldn't do. She was beating the odds. So that Christmas came up very quickly and her mother invited both her and Chester and her daughter over for Christmas dinner. So they prepared to get into the car and make their way over to Felicia's parents' home. While in the car, everything is going well until Chester throws somewhat of a curveball at Felicia. He asks her, had she been sleeping with CJ? And who is CJ, you might ask? Well, CJ was the neighborhood hot guy. And I don't mean hot guy like he was out there being and doing whatever to everybody. But he was the literal hot guy. He was one of the finest guys on the block. And everyone knew it. And although Felicia wasn't blind, she felt like he was attractive. She had no interest in him. She was completely all about Chester. She was pregnant with his child. And she just felt like that question was bizarre and just completely out of sorts. So her reply back to Chester was pretty curt because she felt like, what are you even talking about? What are we talking about? I would never do anything with CJ. So she tells him, no, I'm not sleeping with CJ. What would make you even ask that? Like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Well, apparently that just was a little too sassy for Chester because that's when he did something that he didn't do in previous incidents before. Instead of punching the steering wheel or punching the seat that he was sitting in, he decided that that response from Felicia was so disrespectful that he punched her in her jaw. And Felicia's daughter is a toddler at this time, and she's sitting in the back seat completely mystified. She cannot believe what's just happened. And so is Felicia. She's in utter disbelief. He had never hit her before, and she just can't believe that he hit her about a rumor that he heard. And she just is trying to gather herself together And her daughter is now crying in the back seat. And Chester tells her immediately, you need to shut up. And if you continue to sleep with CJ, I will not only kill you, but I will drive all of us off of a cliff next time. And she's just trying to gather herself. But the first thing that she does, which is a mother's instinct, is to calm her daughter down. She reassures her daughter that, you know, listen, it's going to be okay. Mommy's okay. We're okay. We're just going to go to granddaddy and grandma's house. While in the car, she's doing everything she can to just hold it together, not to break down, to be settled for her daughter, for the sake of her daughter. And when they pull up to her parents' house, she hops out of her car, she gets her daughter, and she doesn't even look back to see what Chester is doing. If he's leaving, coming, or going, she does not care. She hustles into her parents' house and immediately goes upstairs and tells her daddy. Because she's a daddy's girl. 
And she tells her father, dad, this is what happened in the car. This man hit me and just begins to just, you know, ooze out everything that happened in the car. And once her father has the full scenario, Chester is still outside, right? Because Chester knows that he has completely messed up. And he just stays out by the car, pacing back and forth. And that's when Felicia's father exits the home and he decides to talk to Chester. She doesn't really know what all her father said in this conversation, but pretty much her father sums it up by saying that, hey, listen, you can't be putting your hands on my daughter. That's not okay. And you have a child on the way. And if you really want to make this relationship work, you cannot be hitting the mother of your child. This is not okay behavior. And you're not only doing this to her, but you're also, you know, damaging her daughter who you say you care so much for. And of course, Chester profusely apologizes and says that, you know, it was a mistake and he didn't mean to do that. And all the things that you're supposed to say in front of your girlfriend's father when you've already been caught hitting her. Right. So her dad walks back into the home and says, hey, I've talked to Chester. I think you guys will be okay. I think y'all need to work this out. Give him another chance. And I think that the cosign from her father in this volatile incident is what really propelled Felicia to go onward with the relationship. It was the icing on the cake for Felicia to really say, let me go forward with this relationship. But I think the other driving force is the fact that she was pregnant with their child and she didn't want to be alone again. She didn't want to have to be a single mother again. She wanted to really see how this family unit would work out. And so against her better judgment, she proceeds with the relationship. Later that year, Felicia has her son and they name him Christopher. Now, while they still did not live together, Chester often was at her home, helping her to take care of the baby, you know, helping her out by taking care of her daughter because she just had the baby, right? But she noticed that he was spending a lot of time in the bathroom. And y'all, I'm not talking about like an hour. Even that is excessive if you're just supposed to be going to the bathroom, right? But he wasn't sick. It's not like he had, you know, bubble guts or anything. Like this guy was spending hours upon hours in the restroom. And she decided to, of course, knock on the door and see what was going on. And at this particular time, she woke up out of her sleep and noticed that he wasn't in the bed next to her. She knocks on the bathroom door and says, hey, what are you doing? You've been in there for hours now. You haven't even came to bed. And he tells her that he's just, you know, he's just in here watching a little bit of porn, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. And she said that he was watching very creepy and disturbing porn, like 
not the regular, whatever the regular is, he was watching volatile porn. And she just told him like, hey, listen, this is getting a little bit out of hand. Like you're doing this excessively at this point. I can't even get into my bathroom. You're in here at early, you know, early parts of the morning, staying in here for hours. Like what's going on, Chester? And Chester is just like, it's just a little bit of porn. Like, don't worry about it. It's not like we can have sex because, you know, you're refusing me. And she tells him, like, I'm not trying to refuse you. I have to wait six weeks. Ladies, you all know when you have a baby, you can't immediately have sex again because you have to allow your body time to heal. So she said, it's not like I don't want to have sex with you, but I literally can't. And he said, well, until you can, I'm going to keep doing this. And although it disturbed her and bothered her, she remained with him. She started to notice that his routine changed. Not only was he staying in the bathroom for hours upon end, he would also come home very, very late at night. He usually would come home at 12, 1230. That was his usual usual routine. But now he started to come home at 2, 3 in the morning. And he would claim that he was working. Well, she would call up to his job, right, and say, hey, is Chester there? And, of course, his job would say, no, he's not there. So when he would come home and claim that he was working, she inquired more. And he told her, Listen, I had to go do a run for them. It was pretty routine, but, you know, they said I wasn't there because I really wasn't there. I was just doing an errand, running an errand for my job. So there are several red flags that are going off in her mind, but they were easily justified. You're coming home late. All right, you're working late. You're spending hours upon in in the bathroom. Weird. But we're not having sex, so maybe you're just a kinky guy. This is what you're into. She's justifying all of this odd behavior. But then she notices a personality change. It was her first Mother's Day. You know, her first Mother's Day of their of them having a child together, right? They had celebrated Mother's Day before, but that's just when she had her daughter. But now she was a mother of two and one of the children was actually between her and Chester. So it kind of meant a little bit more for her on this particular Mother's Day. So they're supposed to go to dinner around eight o'clock that night. They were going to have a sitter, watch the kids, and Chester was supposed to pick her up from her apartment. But nine o'clock goes, 10, she's calling Chester, calling and calling. Chester's not picking up the phone. And before she knows it, it's 1 a.m. And Chester is still not at the house. She's, of course, livid. She's angry, but more so she's disappointed that Chester didn't even have the decency to tell her that plans changed. He would be unable to make it. But just as she is just soothing and steaming in her anger and disappointment, of course, that's when Chester knocks at the door. And she opens it, ready and waiting 
to give Chester the cuss out that he has coming. And that's when Chester has all of these scratches and on his face and on his hands. And he just seems to be exhausted. And so the yelling session that she planned to do was now put on pause because she was very concerned about Chester. And Chester claimed that he had been in a accident, a car accident, and he lost control of his car while he was racing with a friend. And his car landed in a ditch. And so she's just trying to like put her mind around this elaborate story. Okay, you were racing with a friend. Now your car's in a ditch. And she was just like, okay. You know, she's just trying to, I think whenever somebody tells you a pretty amazing story like that, you are just like, what? Okay. And you have all of these questions that you're just trying to figure out, but you're also simultaneously trying to process what they're saying. So she asked him, you know, is your car, is your car okay? And he's just like, you know, my car's totaled. And she ended up never seeing the car after that either. So she kind of felt like, okay, this story seems shaky. And it was at this time that she suspected him of cheating. But she kind of gave in to the fact that, okay, this, this makes sense. Okay, maybe he really did get into car, a car accident. Or maybe he's cheating, right? But he had these scratches on his hands and on his face. So the story seemed to somewhat make sense to her. But another incident happens weeks later. I would even say a month later. Because once again, she's awaiting for Chester to come over. They're supposed to go on a weekend trip. Chester doesn't show up when he's supposed to. Hours go by. And once again, he's at her doorstep in the early morning. So when she opens the door this time, Chester has blood on his jacket. You know, he has scratches across his face, like a huge gash on his face, in addition to small scratches. But this gash that is on his face looks like he would need stitches. I mean, because it was that deep. So, of course, she asks, what happened? He tells her that on his way over to her apartment, he was robbed. And it never dawned on her in that moment to ask him, why didn't you go to the hospital? Did you call the police? Was a police report made? Nothing. She did not think to ask those questions. But she kind of considered, okay, I kind of live in a rough neighborhood, so it's probable this Probably could have happened, but she didn't ask some of those second and third level questions to really see like, okay, if you did indeed get robbed, why didn't the police show up? Why didn't you call the police? And you have this huge gash on your face. Like we need, you need, why wouldn't you go to the hospital? 
So he eventually ends up going to the hospital and getting stitches. But when I tell you guys that this gash is so deep on his face, it left a mark. So all of these oddities are happening. But once again, she really kind of just chunks this up to a stroke of bad luck. He has so many strokes of bad luck. He had, you know, a car accident and he lost control of his car. And now he got robbed. And she's just like, well, you know, it, it happens. One day she's in the bathroom. This is months after she's had her son. She's healed. She's good. But she's in the bathroom getting dressed to go somewhere. And Chester comes in the bathroom. She's putting on makeup and just getting ready for the day's events. And he sees her getting ready and he says to her, you look amazing. Like, you look so good today. And, of course, she's like, you know, thanks, babe. Appreciate that. And then he, you know, grabs her from the behind softly and and tries to initiate sex. And she's like, Chester, like, not right now. I have to go. We don't have time for this. And he started to get more and more volatile with her. And before she knew it, he had her in a position that she couldn't get out of. She's yelling, stop, Chester, profusely, and he just keeps being violent. And she is trying to get away from him, but he overpowers her, and he eventually rapes her in the bathroom. But that's when she managed to get out the door after he raped her, and she grabbed her gun. And he, when he sees that she has a gun, he grabs her keys, but he also grabs their baby, Christopher. And she doesn't see at the time that he has grabbed the baby. Don't really know why she did not see that, but she didn't. Maybe she was preoccupied with getting this gun. But as she's coming, he immediately exits the apartment and she's right on his tail and she sees her neighbor in the distance and she raises her gun to shoot Chester in the back. And that's when the neighbor, her and the neighbor have made eye contact and her neighbor says, no, don't do it. He has the baby. And so she immediately puts the gun down and she realizes that he has the child. So now she's in panic mode because she feels like this man is about to steal my baby. And I'm probably never going to see my child again because they both have custody of this child. So it's, you know, it is legal for him to take this child and to leave. And she knows that. So she immediately gets on the phone with the police. The police is called and like pretty much all the neighbors have came out of the house and it's, it's a scene at this point. So he couldn't even leave if he wanted to, because now a crowd is surrounding him while he's in the parking lot. Well, the police arrive and they're able to get Chester to release the trial to, to release their child, Christopher. They give the baby to Felicia and it is at this point that they arrest Chester. But Felicia insists 
that they don't press charges. However, comma, this is when this situation happens, Felicia feels like now it's time to end the relationship. It is at this time that Felicia feels like I've had enough. You've done too much. You've gone too far. This is it for me. Although Felicia was settled on the fact that she was not going to get back with Chester, that that was the end of their relationship, she also felt like Chester was a good father. And she wanted Chester to have the opportunity to get involved in his child's life. So she decided to have a meeting at her parents' house, which was like a neutral place for both her and Chester to meet. Both of her parents were present, and that's when she told him in no uncertain terms, we are not getting back together, but you can have a relationship with Christopher. So they worked out a custody arrangement. Of course, he agreed to the arrangement. And one day, her and her brother were at her apartment, and they were just sitting there talking, you know, about to get something to eat. And that's when they heard a loud explosion. So naturally, they get up to investigate. What is that? Did shots just ring off? Do we need to be taking cover? You know, what's happening outside? And she looks out her window and she sees a large brick in the front of her windshield that has just destroyed her windshield. And she knew immediately it was Chester. She just knew instinctively, this is Chester. He is angry that I'm not with him. And... He wants to take it out on my car, right? And immediately she goes back in her house. She, Her and her brother are trying to, you know, figure out their next steps. And she starts to get phone calls back to back to back to back. So she finally picks up the phone and Chester told her, I'm going to kill you. And so she quickly hangs up the phone. But he keeps calling and he keeps calling for what seemed to be like a month. He called nonstop. The police weren't able to do anything about these harassing phone calls. And she just felt like, okay, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait this out. And after a month, Chester stopped calling. And Chester also got another girlfriend. So she really kind of felt like, okay. I'm finally good. He has a girlfriend. He stopped calling me. Maybe I can get back to my life. So she gets in her car on a particular morning, is doing her regular routine with her kids, dropping you know, her daughter off at school, dropping her son off at daycare. And that's when she gets to a red light. She's starting to approach a red light. So she hits her brakes. And nothing happens. Her brakes hit the floor. She's not stopping. And instinctively, and if if it's not instinctive for you, it should be. Because she immediately pulls her emergency brake. Once she realized, okay, these brakes aren't working and I have to stop or this is going to be an accident. She pulled her emergency brake and was able to stop. So she calls her brother out to her car and her brother tells her, okay, let, let me take a look. And that's when they realized that her brake fluid was leaking. And somebody cut her brake line. She, at this particular time, is not thinking about anything. She 
doesn't even suspect Chester because Chester has left her alone, right? So she feels like, okay, I don't know. Maybe this is a freak accident. I don't know how this could have happened. But a month later, it happens again. This time, instead of her brother coming out, Chester comes out because this happens right when she's about to do a drop off with Chester for their son. So Chester comes out to the car and says, hey, I mean, it looks like somebody has cut your brake line again. And she's like, what are the chances? Like, why is somebody trying to kill me? Like, she, does, does, she doesn't understand. And she is not connecting the dots. So Chester, you know, tells her, well, maybe you should just get an alarm. Put an alarm on your car. And she does. But she did not think at all during this time that Chester was responsible for cutting her brake lines at all. She doesn't know who it is, but it's definitely not Chester. But I told you she had a gun, right? And she was licensed to carry. But since her brake line was being cut and she had all of these things happening with her car, she began to carry her gun all the time on her person. Like wherever she would go, she always had her gun with her. And she was on her way walking to her mother's house to go pick up Chester. I mean, to go pick up her son, Christopher, from Chester, right? And she was meeting them at her mother's house. And she sees Chester approaching her. And she said that she could just tell that by his demeanor and the way that he was walking, that he actually was going to have some type of confrontation with her. So she grabs her gun because as he finally reaches her, he pulls his fist back. And she pulls her gun. And that's when he tells her, you're not going to use that. You're not going to use that gun. And Felicia says, oh, yes, sir, I am. And she pulls the trigger. She closes her eyes and pulls the trigger, y'all. So she doesn't even know what happened. She feels like she killed him. Police arrive on scene. They take Chester to the hospital and she was really concerned because she was like, if I, if I killed him, that's going to be considered murder. I just murdered my son's father. This is, this isn't going to be good. This isn't going to be good. But she didn't, she injured him, but she did not kill him. But because of their long standing history of violence that existed between her and Chester, they knew that it was self-defense. And that's exactly what they called it. They called it self-defense. And she felt like since she had the audacity to actually shoot him, that he would stay away from her. You know, that he would just simply move on once and for all. He gets out of the hospital and one day she and her kids are getting out of the car, getting ready to go into the house. And he's sitting on her front porch. And she doesn't know what to expect, but she doesn't care anymore. She's just like, listen, she tells her children, once we get to this door, go right inside. We're going to ignore him. And she does. She gets in her door and he's telling her that he forgives her and he wants to work the relationship out. And she doesn't say anything. She just literally shuts down, gives him the silent treatment. He eventually moves away from her porch. He gets the answer that 
she didn't even have to say, that she was completely done with him. And that was the last time that she heard from him. And that happened to be in 2004. At that point, she didn't care if he saw his kids or if he he saw his kid, I should say, because she just was she was fed up. She felt like this man was pushing her to be a murderer. He was doing the most. There was no reconciliation with them. They couldn't even co-parent. So after that day, she's done. That is until one day her father calls her and asks her, has she heard about Chester? And she's like, you know, dad, what are you talking about? And he says, you need to get the paper. Well, she immediately opens the paper of the morning news. And that's when she sees that Chester has been accused of rape and murder of more than one woman. After receiving the phone call from her father in 2004, she began to watch television coverage and read the newspaper about all the things at the time Chester was accused of. And from 1987 to 1998, he was accused of murdering and raping 14 women, including one unborn child. She was utterly disappointed mortified and upset that one, Chester was able to commit these horrendous acts. But not only that, she began to scroll through her Rolodex of memories and recalled all the oddities that were occurring within her relationship. The mysterious robbery him saying that he got into a catastrophic car accident and his car went into the ditch, the scratches on his face and hands. She remembered the spending hours in the bathroom upon end watching violent porn. She remembered her own rape. And she felt guilty. Yes, guilty that when she finally had the nerve to stand up for herself in self-defense and shoot Chester Turner, she didn't kill him. Because at that point, she would have been able to save some victims' lives. But truth and reality settled in. And the truth and reality was she was one of his victims as well. He raped her. He probably would have tried to kill her. He beat her. She was the personification of these women, yet she survived. And she couldn't help but to feel guilty, even though truth and reality were on her side. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, Steph, that's the end of Felicia's story, but how did Chester Turner get caught up? How did investigators finally catch him? Because you said that happened in 2004. What was he doing in between that time? Well, I have answers for you. I also want to pay honor to the victims 
in their lives and tell you their names and the ages they were. Now, from 1987 to about 1989, this was the first set of murders that Turner was linked to. In 1987, 21-year-old Diane Johnson's body was found. Later that same year, in June, 33-year-old Elandra Joyce Bunn was also found. Now, in 1988, he goes radio silence and no other murders are linked to Chester Turner. But in 1989, January, those murders resume. And that's when they discovered 31-year-old Anita Fishman Breer. Later, that same year of 89 in September, they discovered 27-year-old Regina Nadine Washington. Now, I told you he was convicted of killing 14 women, including an unborn child. Well, that unborn child belonged to Regina Washington. She was six months pregnant at the time of her murder, and they referred to her child as Baby Washington. Now, 1990, 1991, Chester Turner is not committing any murders that investigators are aware of. But in 1992, he starts again. We also know that in 1992, he starts officially dating Felicia. In November of 92, they discover 32-year-old Deborah Williams deceased. Just a month later, they discover 41-year-old Mary Edwards on a back street deceased. The following year, in 1993, they also found 29-year-old Andrea Triplett. A month later, they found 29-year-old Desiree Jones. Now, investigators at this point in time are really trying to figure out who did this. They know they more than likely have a serial killer on their hand, and they are literally searching the community to see who is responsible for these murders. And they end up vesting, finding out about a man by the name of David Allen Jones. And at the time, David Allen Jones was a part-time janitor and they found him to be suspicious because he admitted to investigators that he was actually using drugs with some of the victims in the areas where their bodies were found. A little background to David Allen Jones. At the time, he was barely literate. And when they interviewed him, they didn't allow him to have an attorney present. And the police used that against him. Accompanied with the other information about him doing drugs with some of the victims and finding that he was present when their bodies were found, they felt like we have our guy. Now, he was also arrested for the murder of Tammy Christmas. Tammy Christmas was not one of the murder victims, but he was arrested for that murder at the time that he was arrested for Williams and Edwards murder as well. They got him for three counts of murder. 
1995, he was actually convicted of all three murders and was sentenced to 36 years to life in prison. Now, the other thing that you need to know that helped to convict him, I believe, in his trial is that he was actually convicted of rape prior to the murders. And so I think when the jurors heard this accompanied with all the other evidence, it sealed his fate because all of the murder victims were found to be murdered and raped. So the fact that he had committed a rape before and had been charged with that and convicted, I think that they just felt like they had their guy. So later in 1995, police find the body of 31-year-old Natalie Joan Price. In 96, they found the body of 45-year-old Mildred Beasley. In 97, they found the body of 30-year-old Cynthia Annette Johnson. And on February 3rd, 1998, they found deceased 38-year-old Paula Donnell Vance. His last victim was found in April of 1998, 39-year-old Brenda Byers, and she was actually found just 50 yards away from the hotel where Chester Turner was staying at the time. Now, you're saying, okay, 1998, 1998 to 2004 is a long time, and it is. But in March of 2002, an incident happened that really sealed Chester Turner's fate. He was working as a security guard in downtown Los Angeles for a homeless shelter where he had unlimited access to vulnerable women. In March of 2002, that is when he sexually assaulted a woman named Maria Martinez. He approached her initially just asking for a cigarette lighter, and that's when he proceeded to grab her by the neck and rape her. And for approximately two hours, he held her hostage, threatened her that if she was to ever tell anybody if when he lets her go, that he would most definitely kill her. And thankfully, Maria ignored those threats and went to the police. And the police quickly apprehended Turner and arrested him. He pled no contest to the rape and later that year was actually sentenced to eight years in prison. But this is where things get interesting because when you're a convicted felon and and this was his first arrestable offense, then you have to submit your DNA to CODIS. And once they got his DNA sample, they ran it through the system. And based on that sample, they were able to identify him as a match for the murders of Vance and Byers. So police start to comb back through all of the cases that they had in the years past. And they start to feel like, okay, we may be able to connect him to more murders. They did. And by October 2004, He was identified as a match for 10 more unsolved murders of women. So December 22nd, 2004, 
he was charged with the murder murders of 10 people. And that's when Felicia hears about him again. So you may be saying to yourself, okay, so they were able to get him on the women's um, murders, the unsolved murders. That's great. That sealed his fate. But what about that Jones guy who was convicted of Williams and Edwards murder, who was really Turner's victims? Well, thankfully, the police not only revealed that Turner was the perpetrator in those in that particular case, but it was also revealed that there were a, there was a lot of mishandling um, with some other evidence and the way that they questioned Jones at the time, and he was able to successfully get that conviction off of him. But if you remember. He was also convicted of a victim who was unrelated at the time to Turner, Tammy Christmas. Well, investigators ran his DNA through the system and they found that Jones DNA did not even pop up in Tammy Christmas's murder. And they really believe that he did not have anything to do with that murder either after analyzing his DNA. And so he was released from prison in March of 2004. He filed a lawsuit against the city of Los Angeles and was awarded $720,000 in compensation. On May 10th, 2007, Chester Turner was successfully sentenced and convicted of the 11 murders. He was sentenced to death on July 10th, 2007. In 2011, Turner was charged with four additional murders, Cynthia Johnson, Alandra Bunn, Mary Edwards, and Deborah Williams. And he received another death sentence for those murders on June 26, 2014. He tried to appeal his conviction, however, and thankfully, on November 30, 2020, the California Supreme Court upheld the conviction of Chester Turner. He is currently on death row at San Quentin State Prison. The takeaway. I asked you at the top of this episode to walk a mile in Felicia Collier's shoes. How did those shoes fit? They were worn, weren't they? They were raggedy a little bit. But also, more importantly, I bet you understood why she made some of the decisions that she made. The advantage that Chester was able to have in this situation was Felicia fell for him. She had a baby with him and she created a life with him. Her father co-signed on Chester and some of his wild and outlandish behavior. And because of that, she justified some flaming red flags in her situation. Personality changes, unexplained behavior, 
staying out at all hours of the night, spending numerous of hours in the bathroom watching violent pornography. She was able to justify that that odd behavior and to come up with reasons why he was doing this, but still feeling very uncomfortable at the time. And I think when we hear true crime stories, we often feel like, girl, that's crazy. I would not. You tripping. What are you thinking? You're stupid. You're dumb. But I wanted to tackle this a little different because while I think some of those things are true, like some of this behavior, I don't really fully understand how she was able to justify it. But she finally got fed up. And as a result, she walked away from that relationship. And thank God she did. Because even though she would felt guilt for not killing this man, you know, truly, she was a victim. She was also a victim. Chester had 16 victims. Just one didn't die. So I wanted you to look at it through that lens. And I think our takeaway is that sometimes we should not rush to judgment when we hear these true crime stories or when we hear real life stories, right? Take your time, listen, and try to walk a mile in their shoes. See what they might have been thinking during that time. So that's our true crime story for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. But let's go ahead and get into the poll results for our last two episodes. into our polls before I officially let you go. So this is the episode from about two weeks ago now, the episode about Catherine Martinez. I'm only going to do the poll questions today. And then next week we will jump into both the poll question and the regular question that I ask on our episodes. But the question I asked you from Catherine Martinez was, do you think Catherine's success and new relationship were motives for the murder? 75% of you said yes, 25% of you said no. And I absolutely agree with the 75% that said yes. Whether that was the main factor, I do think it was a contributing factor to why she was murdered. And honestly, because Russell Neal was angry that she was moving on and she was leaving him behind. And he selfishly took her life. So this is last week's episode. It was about Carolyn Clark. And I asked the poll question, if you were the judge and jury, would you convict Bishop Keyes? 88% of you said yes, 5% said no, and 5% said maybe. I happen to agree with the 88% of you who said yes, because I just, you know, this is a hypothetical question, but... I really think that some people and more people than others are more susceptible to brainwashing. And I think that is what was happening at that church. And I don't think that Carolyn's husband 
without his influence and brainwashing would have killed Carolyn. But we don't know, right? So I guess I can see a couple of you guys saying no or maybe. And we have differing opinions. But hey, I appreciate your opinion. And we will be getting more into poll questions and questions for next week when we review it. So make sure that you reply to our questions. Type out a quick reply. We want to hear from you. Make sure you simply click to vote in our polls. I love hearing your responses. Love seeing what you guys say, um, especially on our Spotify platform. It really helps uh, to get engagement and just to see overall how you feel about the episode. But guys, can you believe we're in November? Like the holidays are literally around the corner. But make sure you share if you care this episode, if you absolutely enjoyed it. And if you love us, keep sharing. I know you've been sharing, but keep sharing. We absolutely love it. We appreciate the love. We feel the love here on Murder in the Black. And hope that you guys signed up for the pay subscription so you can get that early access to the murder and music episode we just dropped. Until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black.